Hey, welcome everybody to nwczradio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. My name is Big D. And I'm Brandon. And once again, it's good to be here. It's good to have you along. It's a brand new episode. Brandon is back from Texas. He's back in the Northwest, I, I should say. Unfortunately. <laughs> was it hot where you were? I mean, it's one of those things, like, I had a lot of people, it was 105. Yeah. But it didn't bother me. Because, I mean, I was outside for a bit. I did a few things outside, you know. I just made sure I had plenty of water. But every every building you walk into, there's AC. So, I mean, it's yeah, – I was been, fine with it. I, I could go out. No, I could do my workouts. I would have no problem doing workouts down in 105. So We've been in the 101, 102s, and if you're working directly in it for any length of time, it gets rough. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but, yeah, we do have AC down, down here. And that helps a lot. We also have fans and all the other stuff. But um, anyway, one step closer to possibly moving down here. It is one step closer. I mean, there's a few things. There's just one, like, one sticking point right now that we're, we're, we've got to get done. But once that sticking point's done, we're down there. Great. And then at some point, we'll be in the studio together, you know, probably once a month or so. Yeah. So that'll be fun. No more Zoom. It'll be nice. Yeah, so it'll be nice to be in a studio together where we can see each other i mean we can see each other on zoom but it's still weird yeah it's a little different it is anyway email us down the rh at protonmail.com down the rh at protonmail.com let's get into today's topic because oddly enough what we're going to talk about today we're talking about the shroud of turin and the shroud of turin all of a sudden has made a sort of a comeback i'm seeing it in the news i'm seeing people talk about it again and i'm not sure why and this maybe it's because we decided to do this topic and all of a sudden i'm noticing it but even before we decided to tackle this i've been seeing it pop up on different stories and some different podcasts and different youtube stuff so it seems to me there there's a renewed interest in this i looked to see if there was some kind of news and there's a little bit we'll get into that but before we get into all of the details, let's look at what is the history of this Shroud of Turin. I'm sure you've heard of it at some point. It's this mysterious, I'm just going to call it a cloth. It's like a blanket that has an image of a person in it. And a lot yeah. of people claim, some people believe, and there's, we're going to go through all the evidence that it is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And there's much, much debate. And then there's debate about the debate. And then there's debate on top of that. And then there's a lot of conspiracy theories. Anything, if we, after everything that we've gone through, I mean, in every episode that we've done, I mean, when it comes to religion of any point, there's debate. So, and I mean, that's one thing with the shot of turn that, I mean, there's of course going to be debate because it's it's tied to jesus christ which is a huge part of the catholic religion and if you don't believe the catholic religion well you're not going to believe the turin the or the protestant and the protestant religion the protestant religion like if you don't believe in jesus you're not going to believe in this but so it became it starts a whole argument just in whether or not it should even exist i have a book that i'm going to recommend it is titled Report on the Shroud of Turin by Dr. John H. Heller. And he was a member of the Shroud Research Team. 
This book is the story of 40 American scientists who, using modern instrumentation, tackled the problem of how the image was formed and the remarkable conclusion to which they came. Now, this book was written in 1983, so keep that in mind. They actually started in 1978, and they came to the conclusion, and I'll refer back to this later on in the podcast. It's a very interesting book. It's a very detailed book. I highly recommend it. But for the purpose of our show, let's get into just exactly what this shroud is and and what's the timeline of this thing. How did this thing come to be? There's no doubt that there is an image of a human on this cloth. That's not in debate. No. The shroud first appears, according to history, in about the mid-14th century. Here's a little clue for later in the program. There's more than one shroud that has a human likeness on it. But the Shroud of Turin is special, and we'll explain why. In 1354... And this is very, this is debated, but this is, according to most, the recorded, the first recorded mention of the shroud, and it was owned by the Joffrey de Charny family, or the de Charny family. This French knight somehow obtained the shroud and placed it in this church in France. Now, some people believe it was taken during the Crusades. Some people believe it was handed down, and we'll get into all of that, but that's the first basically recorded mention of the shroud. In 1390, the Catholic bishop, Pierre d'Arcisse, writes to Pope Clement VII and tells him that the shroud is a, quote, clever sleight of hand created by someone, and that falsely declaring that this was the actual shroud in which Jesus was enfolded in the tomb to attract the multitude so that the money might cunningly be wrung from them. What he's referring to there is that when this was displayed at this church in France, it became, like a lot of Catholic things, a pilgrimage point. And a lot of people showed up and a lot of people started donating. We kind of ran into this when we talked about Mother Teresa. Catholic Church is notorious for cashing in on, quote, religious relics or personalities. Catholic Church would never cash in. It just, you know, it does its thing. I don't think we're stepping out of bounds by saying that. No, because, I mean, it's very well documented that, I mean, whether in a good way or bad, however you want to look at it, they have very many times cashed in on relics. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of what, you know, they have to make money somehow. Yeah. In 1578, the shroud is transferred to Turin, Italy, and that's where it is currently, at this church in Turin. In 1898, the shroud is photographed by the Italian photographer Segondo Pia for the first time. And the photos reveal that the shroud bears a, quote, negative image. Negative, not like, opposite of positive, negative as in film, photograph, which turns into black and white positive image when developed. So that was the first time somebody actually took a photo of it. They're like, hey, this is crazy. It's kind of interesting. In 1988, and this is after this book that I referred to, the report on the Shroud of Turin, 1988, 
With the Vatican's authorization, a corner of the shroud is cut and radiocarbon C14 was dated by three laboratories and they determined that the shroud was made between 1260 and 1390, which, quote, shocked the religious communities and generated the idea that the shroud was a, quote, medieval hoax. And for a long time, that's basically where it sat. Yeah. Based on this carbon-14 dating off of a small corner fragment of the shroud. Which, and we've talked about carbon dating, so. Yes. Well, we'll get into that a little later on, too, because the fabric that they took, there's some problems with that as well. In 1999, a study by the International Botanical Conference finds that the flowers and plants may have been placed on the Shroud of Turin alongside the original crucified figure. The study identifies, quote, a high density of pollen and thistle, which has bloomed in Israel between March and May for millennia. The plant that was put in there, the flowers, is believed to be the plant that was used in the Jesus' crown of thorns, and the samples on the shroud predate the 8th century. 2002, the Shroud of Turin undergoes a secret tra- uh, restoration. There's a great documentary called The Shroud of Christ. that You can look into that. 2005, Raymond Rogers publishes a study that highlights the flaws of the 1988 carbon-14 dating conclusions, including the fact that the carbon dating team had cut from the corner of the cloth an area that had been handled by clergy and authorities for centuries, and some even claim, and there's a lot of proof to this, that it had actually been hemmed. At some point it ripped, or they added to it because it was tearing or whatever and the the corner that they took was actually an i'll just say an aftermarket corner which i mean makes sense i mean it's gonna it, over time stuff's gonna wear so i mean if they'd repaired it which it could have been re- repaired in the 12th century which would be why that section was carbon dated to that time yeah because there's a lot of missing time with the shroud where it was who was handling it where it was being stored and it certainly wasn't you know, like today, you go to libraries or you go to a bookstore that has antiquarian books. They're in controlled environments. Sometimes you have to put gloves on. They're in a room that is the temperature is regulated and everything to preserve the product. Yes. And well, this, we don't know where it was stored. I mean, it was probably just stored in someone's house. I mean, there was nothing to protect it from the elements, protect it from time. So I'm sure things had to get repaired. Yeah, 2013, things kind of happen again. Scientists use infrared light and spectrography to date the shroud. And they came to the conclusion that it was dated between 280 BC and 220 CE. And that is a period that includes the time of Christ. And in 2018, a new forensic study used a live volunteer and a mannequin to examine how blood might naturally flow onto a cloth. Scientists were unable to find an explanation for how natural blood flow could have created the imagery on the shroud and thus arguing that it's fake. Then recently what has happened is they were looking at it again because there is blood on the cloth. It is an image of a person. 
And like I said, there's others around. I'll get into that later. And the current theory is, is that it is almost like a photograph that a flash of some sort of energy source or a light or some sort of event. Some people claim it could have been an earthquake. Some people claim it could have been a comet. Some people claim it could have been the angel that showed up in the story. A big beam of light and that transferred onto the cloth. Which makes sense because any story we hear, especially in the Bible, anywhere else, usually pre, right before an angel appears or God talks, there's a ray of light. This is it. The, the ray of light could have easily been what they're talking about, that ray of light from when the angel appeared. Because um, in the story, our angel does appear. Yeah, so we're gonna, I'm going to refer to, we're going to refer to some passages from the Bible Again, this we're not proselytizing, but there are many, many aspects of the Bible that are actual historical facts. Yeah. Jesus did and you, live. And you can't argue the, sh the Shroud of Turin without talking about the Bible. Right. So if you look at Mark 14, 45 and 46, it says, So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. They're talking about Christ now who's been crucified and they gave the body to Joseph. So then Joseph, he bought a fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen. So there's biblical reference to the fact that Christ was buried in some sort of linen and put into the tomb. Another interesting thing about this image on here is that if you look at the body, that is the image that is portrayed on there, it conclusive to everyone whether they believe it was christ or not to all scientists that it was an individual a person a human being who was crucified yes so that is a fact now some people believe that it was made by an artist some say that it was created by some sort of chemical reaction this guy fonte suggests that it was created by a burst of radiant energy such as an ultraviolet light or an energy source coming from the wrapped man it's himself. Which, I mean, is possible, too. I mean, if it was a radiant source coming from him, him coming back to life, I mean, I could see that being a, a light and energy coming from him when it happens. Right. So in this book, The Shroud of Turin, and this isn't the, the whole story, because obviously this was, this was concluded in 1983, and this was before the Carbon-14 dating. This group of Americans, and the interesting thing is it says it's a story of 40 American scientists, but each of those scientists, they had 10 or more scientists outside of them that all of their testing and all of their conclusions and everything that they looked at had to go through the, this, these 10 other, and I think a total, it was over 200 yeah. And the 10 scientists who were assigned to one of the 40, they were from all different walks of life and all different fields. So one of the things that they noticed was that there is actual blood on this cloth. According to this book, they came to the conclusion, and mind you, this guy, this author, Dr. John Heller, he came in with the notion that this was fake, that it was probably painted by earth materials by you know, some painter that it was a hoax and so they went through 
their process with that in mind, and one by one, they kept coming to roadblocks, roadblocks, roadblocks. And then they, actually, they found actual blood. They found uh, what they call globs and so forth. Here were the tests that they used to confirm the presence of whole blood on the shroud. High iron in blood areas by X-ray fluorescence. There was reflection spectra. There was chemical generation of characteristics porphyrin fluorescence. There was a kinothemoglobin test, positive detection of bile pigments, positive demonstration of protein, positive identification of albumin. There was microscopic appearance as compared with appropriate controls, forensic judgment of the appearance of the various wounds and the blood mark. From what I understand, the blood type that they found on there was nothing that was extraordinary, which we were led to believe in, you know, when we talked about the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, that there was a special bloodline. From all indication, it was AB blood type. Mm. History tells us that Christ was an actual person. Yeah. And that if he was an actual person, he was a human being, he had a blood type. And according to this, the blood type that was on this was AB. Which makes sense, because, I mean, that's the one thing I think a lot of people get stuck on, and that's one of the things you see on some of the, the, the fringe religions where they talk about Jesus being a human being. While he was on earth and walking with us, that was very apparent. He was born a baby. He grew up. Um, he, he was killed, which is a very human thing to do. He was human. So, I mean, for him to have a normal blood type makes sense to me. I thought this was interesting, too. So at the end of their several-year-long work on this, they were giving their final presentation where they were in front of a lot of fellow scientists and people who were curious about their conclusions. And there was a guy named Ray Rogers who took the floor, and he said, in science, you're entitled to any hypothesis you choose, including the one that the shroud was made by elves from the Black Forest. But if you don't have a test to examine that hypothesis, it's not worth saying anything. We do not have a test for Jesus Christ, so we can't hypothesize or test for that question. All who believe this is the authentic shroud of Christ, raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. None of the scientists. Okay, he said, all those who don't believe it's authentic, raise your hand. Nobody moved. And so he was frustrated. And he said, have you found anything that would preclude the shroud being authentic? No. And at the very conclusion of this book, he says, we answered by discussing all the possibilities we had been able to conjure up, and then we explained that we had to reject all of them one by one. Where, we were asked, does that leave you? And his answer was, we just don't know. He says, the shroud remains, as it has over the centuries, a mystery. He says, each of the 40 researchers consulted at least 10 other investigators who were not part of the shroud team. Thus, at least, and I'm, I was wrong here, 400 scientists had their added input. And they were from MIT, they're from American Chemical Society. These were all kind of... Uh, people with medical degrees, medical sciences, physical engineers, all kind of what we would call smart people in their fields who were in on this. In that book, which was kind of frustrating as a reader because you go through this and it's a, it is a lot, a lot of technicalities and a lot of 
things that are way over my head as far as the scientific knowledge of things. He did explain it in a in a a grand way, but at the same time, you're kind of your head swimming. And then at the end, it's like, well, we have no conclusion. Thought this was interesting. We were talking about sort of this lost time of the shroud. In 1418, when the Hundred Year War threatened to spill over into Lyrae, Geoffrio, I don't know how to spell this guy's, say this guy's name, it's G-E-O-F-F-R-O-I, Geoffroy, maybe, Decharney's granddaughter, Margaret Decharney, and her husband offered to store the cloth in their castle. Her husband wrote a receipt for the exchange acknowledging that the cloth was not Jesus' authentic burial shroud and promising to return the shroud when it was safe. However, she later refused to return it and instead took it on tour, advertising it as Jesus' real burial shroud. In 1453, Margaret Descharny sold the shroud in exchange for two castles to the royal house of Savoy, which ruled over parts of modern-day France, Italy, and Switzerland. And as a punishment for selling the shroud, she received excommunication. Wow. It almost went up in flames. We almost didn't have it. In 1532, a fire broke out in this chapel, Saint-Chapelle in Chambery, which is part of France. It melted part of the silver in the container uh, that was protecting the shroud, and this silver fell onto part of the shroud burning through it. That's what you'll see when you look at it. You can see burn marks. In 1578, the house moved the shroud to the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Turin, which later became part of Italy. Currently, it's protected by uh, bullet, bulletproof uh, glass. I've only seen photos of, of it. Obviously, I've never been, have not been to Italy, and I haven't been to uh, I haven't been able to see it. But it is it is fascinating. Also, I thought I found this interesting. So the British Museum, they're the ones who concocted this carbon dating thing. Yes. So they're the ones who put together the team to do all the carbon dating. Well, there's a there's an individual by the name of David Rolfe. He was a filmmaker whose documentary, quote, The Silent Witness, brought the shroud into public eye in modern times, and he was actually converted to Christianity as a result of his research. And he was convinced that the carbon dating carried out in 1988 under the the direction of the British Museum and Oxford University was flawed. He says he has evidence to prove it. In fact, he's so certain of this, and this was written April 17th, 2022, that he issued a challenge worth $1 million to the British Museum, quote, if they believe the shroud is a medieval forgery, I call on them to repeat the exercise and create something similar today. Because from all the evidence I've seen, if this is a forgery, it's the most ingenious forgery in history, and of course it dates back almost 2,000 years to a time of far less sophisticated forgery techniques and that is a problem that they have as far as the forgery theory of this yeah because think back 2000 years go back 2500 years or a thousand years what technique what materials what kind of paint or dye or any of this would you use and when you look at the shroud like when it's just sitting up there, 
it basically looks like a white sheet with some patterns on it. And it's not until you lower the lights or put a certain kind of light on it does this image actually appear. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It is, but not likely. No. According to several people, when it comes to the carbon dating, there's a lot of skepticism. Several experts said that murky would be the good word to describe the events of 1988. Today, there are at least six peer-reviewed scientific articles that challenge the result of the carbon dating. And we did a whole show on that. Yeah. The British Museum is less willing to get involved this time around. Quote, any current questions about the shroud would be best put to those who currently care for it at the Royal Chapel of the Cathedral of Turin, spokesperson said. So they're not interested. But they were interested in putting it out there as a debunking, which I always find interesting. An article that came out April 5th, 2023, says the evidence is so strong as to the authenticity of the Turin According to this article, that it is hard to imagine anyone with an open mind seeing it as anything less than compelling. The bottom line is that science has shown the image on the cloth as, quote, an impossible image, one that cannot be replicated. And that is true. They have tried to replicate this over and over and over again in many different forms, many different ways, and they have been unable to. One of the main reasons, according to this article, is as scientists have now confirmed the image on the shroud has to be caused by a mysterious burst of light, that is, electromagnetic radiation. The evidence indicates the shroud was wrapped around a real body that simply de dematerialized without disturbing the perfectly formed blood clots on the cloth. That could only happen through an event like that described in the Gospels as the resurrection, an event that, as the Gospels state, freed Jesus' body from material constraints. And then it goes on. So it's back to this burst of light, and then they go into how the carbon dating is flawed. It's a mystery. The conclusion yeah. of everybody, I think, at this point is the shroud's real. It truly depicts a human. There's actual plants and things on this shroud that date back to a certain time period. But it's uncertain, honestly, as to what the actual date of this thing is. And the carbon dating is flawed in many, many ways. So you either believe it or you don't. Yeah. There was also this thing called the image of Edessa. And according to tradition, the image of Edessa was a holy relic consisting of a square or rectangle of cloth which upon there was this image of the face of Jesus, and they believed that it was the face cloth because when they buried people back then, this is where we get the whole mummy thing. They would wrap mm -hmm. the body in different types of cloths. So there was a face cloth that they would wrap around the head, and then they would wrap the body up. Yes. This image was supposedly recorded in the early 4th century, the king Abgar of Edessa wrote to Jesus asking him to come cure him of illness. <laughs> Abgar received a reply letter from Jesus declining the invitation but promising a future visit by one of his disciples. This is all according to the lore. And the first record of this existence of a physical image in the ancient city of Edessa, which is now called Urfa, was in about 593. And there's a 
scholar who wrote, said, reports a portrait of Christ of divine origin, which affected the miraculous aid in the defense of Edessa against the Parisians. So they believe they have this cloth that has the face, I'll just say, of Christ on it, and that they have u- that it has mystical powers. It's, it's aided them in battles and all kind of stuff. There's also another one called the Holy Face of Genoa, and this is kept in the Church of St. Bartholomew of the Armenians in Genoa, Italy. Nobody knows what that is, but some people believe it's Christ. Other people believe it could be one of the disciples. There's also the Holy Face of San Silvestro, and this was an image that was kept in the Rome Church of San Silvestro in 1870 is now kept in the Vatican Palace. And the earliest evidence of this existence is 1517. Nuns were forbidden to exhibit it to avoid competition with other images. According to some reports, this image is painted on a board, therefore it's likely to be a copy, and it was exhibited at the Germany's Expo 2000. You also have the Veil of Veronica. There's a bunch of them. But I will say that most of those have been found to be somewhat either copies or it was maybe some, they thought, an artist's rendition. They were obviously old. They're old relics. But what, what's different about the Shroud of Turin is that this actually has blood on it. It, in all likeness, was a person who was killed through crucifixion and then wrapped up and put into this burial cloth. I mean, not to sound bad, but if they can get DNA off of it, then we should be able to find the bloodline, shouldn't we? That's been pretty much kept under wraps. If there is a bloodline, that's how you'd find it. So according to this article, there are plenty of mysteries from about the time of medieval Europe that are yet to be solved, of course. A lot of Nostradamus stuff. The Shroud of Terms seems to belong to this private collection of medieval mysteries. The challenge for modern scientists is uncovering the forgery is that it had to have been made with methods that were far beyond the skills that artists would have had during the 14th century. We talked about that. The shroud was created meticulously with extreme attention to detail that even today's forgers would marvel at. However, according to this article, all of this begs the question as to why. Why would someone go through all of the trouble of creating such an elaborate forgery as a relic for peddling money when he or she could have just used strips of cloth that were lying around the house. Moreover, if it was a forgery, why did the church treat it as if it was authentic? Those are all valid questions. Very valid. Another thing that's very interesting about this that a lot of people don't recognize or or tend to gloss over is that the image on the shroud corresponds perfectly with the human body. A lot of times you'll see pictures of it, and it really zeroes in on this image of the face. And it looks like a Viking, or, you know, it's, it's a guy with long hair, beard, sort of a narrow face. The reality is, it is an entire human body with its arms folded sort of at the waist. According to this article, forged relics during the Middle Ages were familiar enough to be considered routine, but they were cheap imitations. For example, if a man came to a village declaring that he had the bones of John the Baptist in his bag, they were probably no more than chicken bones or bones from a dead animal. But people who were curious, they would pay to see him, 
and then that guy would skip town. So he was a charlatan. What's astounding yes. is that while the Shroud of Turin may have been fake, according to this article, one thing that it was not is a cheap fake. It corresponds perfectly with the proportions of a man, so much so that even the bloodstains that appear on the shroud look precisely where they should be. The precision is so remarkable that it corresponds exactly with how a human body would have been wrapped during the first century in Palestine. And, of course, they talk about the blood in there, so let's get into the blood a little bit. If you read a lot of the skeptics, they are claiming that it was painted, that it was done by an artist, and that there's no way that this could be a human. But in fact, if it was recreated or if it was done by an artist, they, act, they used actual blood. There is blood on it. The blood type has been identified as AB. And furthermore, there are two distinctive types of blood found on this shroud. There's, and this is really interesting, pre-mortem blood, which is the kind you have before you die. Mm -hmm. And there's also post-mortem, which when you die, your blood undergoes a change. And both of them are represented and evident on this. Well, maybe this is a case, too, where it's not that it's not post-mortem, it's post-death, or post-reanimation -re or resurrection. Maybe that's what the, the living blood is. It's after he's come back. It could be that, or it could be that when they pulled him down off the cross, he wasn't quite dead yet. Hmm. I would say their coroner skills at the time, <laughs> they no weren't question. at CSI levels. No. But he was for all intents and purposes, dead and or going to die, and there was no saving him or saving this body at the point. And, then, and so mm -hmm. blood, you know, they wrap him. It's like when you wrap a wound and there you, you got blood, and then if you die, that blood actually changes the stuff that's in your body. Yeah. So they're both evident regardless. And according to another article, it says, if the Shroud of Turin indeed is a medieval forgery, as the carbon-14 tests apparently show, it is genuinely the most elaborate forgery of the entire Middle Ages, perhaps in world history. And then it goes on to say that there's probably errors in the 1988 um, test. Here's another theory, that the shroud was made by medieval embalmers. It says, one theory postulates that if a painter did not create the image on the shroud, that it must have been formed by an embalmer in the 14th century. Perhaps someone took a recently dead body according to this article, subjected it to the wounds of crucifixion, then laid the piece of linen over the body to create the image. Then he might have figured out how he could become rich by selling it to the wealthy Dicharni family, convincing them that it was the Shroud of Christ. But here's the problem with that theory, is that there are precise details on the Shroud that cannot be explained by this theory. For example, there are some anatomical parts, such as the eye sockets and hair detail, that would not have come into direct contact with the shroud. Had an embalmer pressed the cover down to force these different details to come into contact with the shroud, the image would have been distorted. The embalmer theory, while it seems plausible at face value, is not capable of explaining the remarkable forgery behind the Shroud of Turin. Another interesting thing, as far as forgeries, some people have theorized that it was created by a sculptor, like a 3D image. 
And if that was true, then theoretically there would be there would be sort of a three-dimensional figure to create this image seen in the shroud. So to test this sculpture theory, John Jackson created a human sculpture, laid it face down, and heated it so its image would be imprinted on the linen cloth he put it over. What he found was that the temperature necessary to stamp an image on the fabric, the forger would have, would have had to remove it within one-tenth of a second after laying it down. According to him, it's highly, highly unlikely that an unscrupulous con man from the 1300s would have had that kind of precision. Furthermore, what cannot be explained by the sculptor theory is that a scorched material or paint did not create the image. It was made by blood, and the blood's precise pattern on the linen's weave could not correspond to what would have been feasibly created by a sculptor. So, there's a lot of theories, but it seems like every theory has an anti-theory that kind of blows it up. Yeah. There was also one other shroud, the shroud in Constantinople, the Byzantine Empire, which was the capital, the seat of the Orthodox Church, had a shroud that people believe was the real burial shroud of Jesus. This shroud was documented in the year 1196, but evidence suggests that it had been in the possession of the Byzantine Church long before then. It's recorded both visually and textually in a document known as the Prey Codex, or the Prey Manuscript. There is forensic evidence suggesting that the two shrouds may be the same. Visual depictions of Jesus on the cross, which were probably based on the, the image of the cover held at Constantinople, says that uh, in the Prey Codex, there are compellingly similar images fa as found on the Shroud of Turin. Additionally, the Prey Codex reveals a herringbone pattern in the weave of the linen, same pattern seen in the Shroud of Turin. According to experts, and they don't name them, so take that for what it is, experts who have studied the Constantinople Shroud suggest that there are two and they're most definitely the same. The Shroud of Turin is at least 12th century, not 14th, and it may not be a medieval forgery at all. Mm. There's some thought that the Templars had this for a while. And the that Templars goes, had everything. Yeah, well, that goes back to this Battle of Constantinople during the Fourth Crusade. According to this, during the Fourth Crusade, instead of going all the way to the Holy Land, Many of the European crusaders went to their Christian brothers and sisters in Constantinople and ransacked the city. Most of these crusaders were from France, and Geoffrey de Charny's wife was a direct descendant of one of the leaders of the Fourth Crusade during the ransacking of Constantinople. Presumably, he obtained the shroud while on crusade, and it quietly remained within the family until they eventually made it public. Some people claim, or make a guess, that he got it actually from the Templars. Because as we know, we've talked about this with the Templars, how they were set up to protect these travelers yes. during that time. And the Templars were out looking for artifacts to bring back into essentially the Catholic Church, but they ended up keeping a lot of them. Well, a lot of it too is if you, you were protecting someone and they, you had whatever and they died, well... A lot of times they got to keep it. So the other thing is that these blood stains that are on this shroud, according to many, many scientific papers that I've read, that they are consistent with a Roman crucifixion. According to this specific article, 
It says, in Christian art, particularly in the Middle Ages, Jesus is frequently depicted as having nails going through the palms of his hands and the front of his feet. However, what we know now about the Roman crucifixion, based on skeletons of crucifixion victims, is that nails went through the wrists and the heels. If a medieval forger trying to make the shroud a hoax, he would have undoubtedly mimicked the bloodstains common in Christian iconography. The image on the shroud shows that the nails went through the wrists and the heels. If the cover indeed does predate the Middle Ages, and if it is a forgery, it could only have been made by someone with first-hand knowledge of Roman crucifixion practices. Furthermore, the shroud shows bloodstains consistent with what the New Testament Gospels describe as a crown of thorns being placed on Jesus' head. Using a crown of thorns was not known to be a common practice, and it is unlikely that many other crucifixion victims were subjected to it. And that is a key point right there. Because according to the Bible, you know, they pierced Christ's side, they put the crown of thorns on, they hung up a sign above the cross that said King of the Jews, they mocked him. And if you read Josephus and you read a lot of historians at the time, this event actually happened. So a lot of people who say this is all a myth and a fairy tale, that actually happened. This man named Jesus Christ went on trial. They condemned him to death. He was crucified, and it was brutal. And they did put a crown of thorns on his head. They did pierce his side, and they did mock him. And you can go through the whole story. We don't need to go through the whole story. But this Shroud of Turin... If it's a fake, it was done so well, and whoever did it knew history. They knew all kind of different techniques in art and working with blood and all this stuff. And again, I'll refer back to this report on the Shroud of Turin. They went meticulously detailed through every single aspect and every theory that was out there as to how could this thing happen. How, yeah. what, what is on this? What are these materials? Could it have been this? Could it have been that? And they tested them all. And the conclusion that they came to was, we don't know. <laughs> well, for, which is amazing. For lack of a pun, the entire thing is shrouded in mystery. <laughs> it's a good pun. Again, I think it's interesting that we tackle these subjects that are out there. And these are historical mysteries and a lot of yeah. people who are very 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 smart scientists and artists and as technology changes they keep testing it and testing it and testing it and the conclusion that you come to is we don't know we don't know what this is and how many things in the world are like that not many so not many at all yeah so is it christ don't know is it hey. uh, is it an image of christ i don't know it's the image of someone, but it's one of those things I don't know if we're ever going to know for sure. I mean, unless they can actually find someone who has, you know, his his bloodline. Well, and that's the interesting thing. It definitely is someone. And it's someone who died a very similar, if not exactly the same death as the historical figure, Jesus Christ. You just read through the Gospels and the account 
of the crucifixion, and you read through historians of the time, and I'll refer to Josephus, who was probably the most famous, who was, I believe he was there. I could be wrong on that, but he wrote in detailed account about it. He was sort of like a beat reporter that followed around and witnessed a lot. He was not a Christian. He was fascinated by this movement. Yeah. So it factually happened. They took him off the cross. They did wrap him up. They put him in a tomb. And this cloth, somehow, somebody got it. And here's my thing. I mean, it was obviously in this, the, the hands of this family for a long time. Before that, we don't really, it's a, it's a mystery. It, it truly is. But we do know that during the Crusades and during the early days of the Catholic Church and during the, the Knights Templar and all these, even Hitler was looking for these religious artifacts from all the different religions to bring them together to create some sort of centrist power base because he thought yeah. he thought they all contained some sort of good luck or voodoo or power or something and this has been going on for the dawn of, since the dawn of time very much so so we have this shroud you know you had the catholic church say yes it's authentic and then they kind of backed off and then they weren't sure and then you have all these people who have been testing it over time, and then the debate rages. Yes, it's real. No, it's not real. But I think what all of them come to, the conclusion that they do come to, all of them, even on the Carbon-14 dating one, is that this is not a forgery, because all the forgery myths have basically been blown up. That this yeah. was actually a person that was wrapped in this. And there's, how many of them are in the world like this? I don't think, like I said, there's a few here and there that people have claimed, oh yeah, this is, uh, you know, this was the cloth that wrapped his face. And there's some paintings that are supposedly from first person accounts and you know, all these things, but none of those are substantiated with any kind of super factual authenticity, not like the Shroud of Terran. No, and that's one thing I, I, I saw in the Shroud of Terran is it's there's no proof that and no proof that it's not either really no way of proving that it was Jesus that was wrapped in it, but they proved repeatedly that there was somebody wrapped in it and the time depends on if you believe the carbon dating and you know the the theory that it was they carbon dated the wrong piece. I mean, the, well, yeah, because the, they, the other one, it works. Even the on Wikipedia, works. and I'm not a big Wikipedia fan, but even they say, although the quality of the radiocarbon testing itself is unquestioned, which I, I would question. But anyway, criticism yeah. have been raised regarding the choice of the sample taken for the testing with suggestions that the sample may represent a medieval repair fragment rather than the image bearing cloth. It is hypothesized that the sample area was a medieval repair which was conducted by, quote, invisible reweaving. Since the carbon dating, at least four articles have been published in scholarly sources contending that the sample used for the dating test may not have been representative of the whole shroud. Yeah. And that's pretty much been, I'll say, the, the big bugaboo in the whole carbon dating thing. I thought this was interesting. In 1979, Greek and Latin letters were reported as written near the face on the shroud. 
These were further studied by Andre Marion, or Marion, a professor at some university I can't pronounce, and his student Anne Lara Courage in 1997. Subsequently, after performing computerized analysis and microdensitometer studies, and I'm not going to pretend to know what that is, <laughs> they report yeah, finding yeah, additional inscriptions among them the word I-N-N-E-C-E-M, a shortened form of Latin, which is translated, you will go to death. Also, the word N-N-A-Z-A-P-E, which says Nazarene, I-H-S-O-Y, Jesus, and I-C, which is Isus Christus, and some uncertain letters I-B-E, which have been conjectured as Tiberius. Now, some of these, of course, have been disputed, like everything else. Linguist Mark Gushin disputed the reports. That he stated that the inscriptions made little grammatical or historical sense and that they did not appear on slides that Marion and Courage indicated. Hmm. I thought this was interesting. Researcher Jackson, Jumper, and Stevenson reported detecting the impressions of coins placed on both eyes after a digital study in 1978. They claimed to have seen two lepton coins on the right eyelid dating from 29 to 30 and one lepton coin on the left eyebrow minted at 29. However, this, the existence of the coin image is rejected by most scientists. A study published in 2011 by LaRusso and others subjected two photographs of the shroud to detailed modern digital image processing and they didn't find any images of coins or flowers there's also this idea that there were flowers in the imagery but again i think a lot of times if you look at this shroud and you just stare at it you're going to see a lot of different things well it's like that with anything the human eye is we, we you know i think i'm not sure if we did an episode on this or not i think it might be one of the last ones where we talk about how the human eye will take something and make it an image you know, right, but it's it like or not. it's like 3D art or yeah. art that has hidden things in it. The more you stare at it, things the appear or they don't it. appear or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, now you, you, I think I see. Do you see that? And you almost say you have to get confirmation for it. Do you see what I'm seeing? Yeah. Yep. There was also a theory that nuclear emissions created it, that there was an earthquake which struck Jerusalem in 33 AD, and the image was formed from nuclear emissions from that. There was also the idea that it could have been burial ointments, that the rapid changes in the body image intensity are not anomalies in the manufacturing process of linen, but that they can be explained with the presence of aromas or burial ointments. According to the opposite side, their work leaves the existence of an energy source for the image as an open question. Some say it was ultraviolet radiation. There's the corona discharge theory. According to Raymond Rogers, well, the corona discharge was basically in 2002, they were doing a restoration and the back of the cloth was photographed and scanned for the first time. The scientist Fonte wrote an article on the subject with his colleagues in 2005 saying that there was an electrostatic corona discharge as the probable mechanism to producing this image on the shroud. But Raymond Rogers, who also did a lot of study on it, said it is clear that a corona discharge, which is plasma, 
in air will cause easily observable changes in a linen sample. No such effects can be observed in image fibers from the Shroud of Turin. Corona discharge and or plasmas made no contribution to this image uh, formation. So again, a lot of theories, a lot of back and forth by these scientists. So when they say, I'll just say, when they say trust the scientist, and we've heard that a lot recently over the Mm -hmm. years, these are all scientists, and they're, they can't come to a conclusion, and they can't come to a consensus, and, they're all, and they are fighting each other about what is this thing, how did it get here, what are the materials, what's, what's with the blood, is it plasma, is it corona discharge, like on and on and on and goes. Was it radiation, is it ultraviolet rays, is it a flash of light? And that's the thing is, I mean, it's one of those things. That's why, you know, a lot of us, when they, we keep hearing this, trust the science. Um, when you do any anything like this, where you research, you realize on a lot of things, the science isn't, it's not always a, a cut and dry. This is what it means. There's a lot of interpretations done by scientists, which cause a lot of arguments and disagreements among scientists. Absolutely, because science is not an absolute. No, and just because something's scientifically, quote-unquote, proven, there's a lot of things that were scientifically proven yeah. until they were disproven. Right. So what's your take on the Shroud of Turin, real quick? Um, it's like I said, I mean, from, from you know the research I did and listen to most stuff that you said, um, I believe it's real in the sense that somebody was wrapped in it. Somebody was. Um, most likely someone who was crucified in the the way the Romans would have done it. Um, was it Jesus? I don't know. That That's really hard to prove. Um, but, I mean, somebody was obviously wrapped in it. Yeah, and I think that is the general conclusion. Will we ever know if it's Christ or not? Probably not in our lifetime and probably never. No. Because we don't have any blood in a vial un- unless it's stored away somewhere that we don't know about referring to the yeah. whole Holy Grail thing. Like there is a bloodline that, that the yeah. secretly <laughs> hit away really somewhere. Yeah. Hit away somewhere in the, some French chateau or Hills or something, but or on the second coming when he comes back, maybe he'll tell us, maybe he'll take, yeah, maybe he'll do a DNA test. 23 like, hey, That's my favorite blankie. I've been, I've been looking for that. <laughs> it is pretty fascinating, though, that think about how many people have died through history. How many people, especially, and during that time, people were dying all the time. They were crucifying people all the time. There were wars. There, it was brutal. And yeah. this is generally how they buried people. Again, this is kind of how we got the whole mummy thing. You know, yeah. over in Egypt, they were do, they were you know really wrapping them up. And this is really one of the only ones that's out there. That has been preserved. I'm sure there were maybe there were others along the way, but th- this is it. This is the one. So it's yeah. kind of a miracle in itself that it exists. Is it the miracle of Christ? Don't know. And even if it was, I don't think it proves to a believer or an unbeliever anything because we already know historically that Christ lived. Yeah. So even if you can prove, oh, yes, 
that's definitely Christ. I mean, at the most, we would basically know what his face sort of kind of looked like, how tall he was, what kind of stature he had based on this. But this, there's no proof in this that he rose from the dead because this is a burial cloth. Mm-hmm. But we know he was buried and then rose again three days later. Yes. So, I mean, it's a pretty fascinating study. Like I said, I highly recommend this book, Report on the Shroud of Turin by Dr. John H. Heller. It's very, very interesting. I gave away the end. There is no conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. Just like there is no conclusion with us. But it's something to keep your eye on because every now and then I see things pop up and it's like, we definitely know now this time, blah, blah, blah. And in reality, they don't. I I would approach that with caution and suspicion every time. Yeah. Because as we said, through history, it's been proven and then disproven and proven and disproven and this theory and that theory and this scientific experiment and that scientific experiment. All of them that were supposedly conclusive have been challenged and basically wiped away. Even the carbon dating, they'll say, even if the carbon dating is correct, what they carbon dated was probably put there after the fact and notice they haven't been back to take any of any of the rest of it. Yeah. So that seems suspicious in my book as well. Yeah, it's very suspicious. I mean, it's one of those things that they took one piece. Oh, look, it's it's too too late, but then it's basically shown that no, this was Yeah, this was added it, after the fact. Yeah, this was added after the fact. This is a different piece. You know, it just, it's not that you have to, why not go back and test again? Because they're like, oh, if we go back and test again, we might prove that it is the right time frame. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) And they're happy that it proves that it's not. All right. Well, I have the midweek edition, so that'll be out on Wednesday. And Brandon and I will be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great week. Do your research on the Shroud of Turin. It is quite fascinating. It does it get is. bogged down into some scientific detail. And, and I consider myself a fairly smart guy, but a lot, some of it, well, a lot of it was really detailed and, and kind of over my head. So yeah. email us down the RH at protonmail.com. Tell us what you think. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the Shroud of Turin and anything else you have on your mind? Hey, send it to us. We'll respond. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. We're out of here. See you later.